Lord and our God, ruler of the universe, Lord, we are thankful for your Shabbat, we're thankful for your word, we're thankful for your great love for us. And so, Lord, bring us into your presence and speak directly to us, face to face, from your word. In Yeshua's holy name, amen. Elisha and the borrowed axe. Okay. Beautiful story in the Bible. From 2 Kings chapter 6, verse 1, starting verse 1, the sons of the prophets said to Elijah, the place where we dwell with, is, with you is too small. Please let us go to the Jordan to take beams and make a place where we may dwell. And so that's positive, right? So here this is again, we've got to see this in context of where this is. This is in Israel, this is in the northern tribes, this is during, uh, well this is after Ahab, but uh, still around the time of Ahab, it's the uh, Jehu. Uh, is now the king. He's taken out over out of Jehu, but not a great reform taking place under his leadership because of Jehu's leadership, but obviously a great reform taking place among the people. So while uh, there's Baal worship up there and there's uh, the two golden calves way back from the time of Jeroboam setting them up, there are people who are serving the Lord and who love the Lord, and there the school of the prophets is growing. And we know of at least three schools of the prophets that are mentioned in the Bible. And, and so this one has is, is outgrown its walls, and they need to expand. So again, even during the hardest times, even during the greatest apostasies, there's, God still has 7,000 who haven't bent the knee to Baal. God still has faithful people who are willing to serve him and step out in faith. And again, it wouldn't be popular for them to be able to do that in that setting. And sometimes that's when the lights grow brightest, is when there is darkness all around. And so we see their faithfulness here in them stepping forward in this time of, of darkness in the north and, and trials. Uh, in the south, Judea, they were still uh, worshiping the Lord and, and uh, serving the Lord and, and, and the temple services still being conducted. And, uh, and so uh, the real testimony. And it says a lot about the King Jehu. If this is during Jehu, Elijah's, Elijah's ministry uh, covers, I think, two or three, maybe even four kings um, uh, that he lived throughout, and it doesn't tell us exactly the date here. But during this time, obviously, if they were really pressing down, they could have closed these schools down, they could have been killing the, 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 uh, the sons of the prophets, which they weren't. So uh, it was certainly not as bad as during Jezebel and Ahab's time. And Elijah says, go. And then one of them said, please consent to go with your servants. And he answered, I will go. And so he went with them. So they want to go. They want to go down to the Jordan River. Uh, this could be the school of the prophets that's down in the city of Jericho, uh, right near the Jordan River. Um, so that would make sense to go down right nearby and, and uh, trees growing along the Jordan River where there's water, right? So that makes sense. And so let us go down. And then he says, OK, yes. And uh, they said, well, we want you to be with us. Don't, don't, we, we don't want to go alone. We want your presence. We want your blessing on the work. And so he consents and is willing to go, to go with them. And so when they came down to the Jordan, they cut down trees. And as one of them was cutting down a tree, a bunch of environmentalists came by and said, what are you doing? <laughs> no tree cutting going on here. <laughs> And then, uh, and then the permitting department came, and uh, the city came by and said, did you get a permit to cut down that tree? And did you get a permit to expand that building? <laughs> it was so much easier then, huh? 
But uh, so they're going down. They go down. They're starting to cut down the tree. And this one guy, he's got this axe, and he's cutting away. And the iron axe fell into the water, flew off. And he cried out and said, alas, master, for it was borrowed. And I like that. I mean, that, you know, I think that says a lot there, you know. This kid, he's concerned for the axe, not so much because the axe is now broken, not so much because he can't cut down the tree, but because it wasn't his axe. It was a borrowed axe, and that's the first thing that comes to his mind. Oh, no, this is horrible. This person trusted me. This person was dependent on me bringing back their axe. They need their axe, and it's not my axe. I think that shows a, a lot of character there in this, in this young man. The moral. A lot of people don't care about borrowed things. You know? You know, People are afraid to buy a rental car, right? You know? Who knows who drove that thing and how they treated it? People are like, oh, I'll just rent it anyway, you know, and they're just trashing it. It's not mine. Was that? It went in the water. It went in the water. Well, yeah, it went in the water. What can I do about it? Not my fault. All right, a lot of people just write it off. And he's crying out, Elijah, my master, come and help me. I got this problem. I need this axe. I need to give it back to this guy. It's not mine. So it makes it even worse by him saying it's borrowed, it's not mine, it's even worse. Okay, if it was one thing if it was mine, that'd be horrible, but this is not even mine, it's someone else's. People, you know, uh, uh, sometimes renters in, in houses sometimes can trash places, it's horrible. Uh, I've heard stories of someone coming in and never paying beyond the first month's rent and then trying to stay there for months. Oh, it's rented, what did I care? It's not mine and then trashing the place in the meantime. But this kid does just the opposite mindset. He's more concerned for bringing back the item in the condition he received it, maybe even better. He might sharpen it when he's done. He's planning on sharpening the axe, so he's returning it in even better condition than he received it. It might have been his plan. And now he, 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 it's broken, and it's ruined, and it's lost in the muddy Jordan River. Floated down to the bottom somewhere. I can't even see it. And so he's burdened about this and concerned about this for this person, for what it means to this person who needs that axe that he borrowed it from, for, uh, and, his, and his own accountability and his own trustworthiness and his own honesty, his own credit rating in a sense. And again, we live in a day and age that just write things off. Oh, the hospital will just write it off. Oh, the, the, they'll just, the landlord will just write this off. The, the, uh, the things I purchased, the, the companies and the credit cards, they'll just write this off. We're living in a day and age where people don't care about that they borrowed something. You know, just easy bankruptcy, easy foreclosures, just, 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 well, just write it off. Not my problem anymore. It's their problem. But this kid, he's got just the opposite mindset, just the opposite attitude. It's borrowed. I, I committed to something. I committed to return it. I committed to faithfulness. Yeah, that's right. You could easily blame it on the axe. You know, if it was a better axe, it would have, you know, it's this guy's fault. He gave me a faulty axe. A lot of excuses that could be, and even justifiable excuses. It really wasn't his fault. You know, but still he is concerned and he is burdened and he cares. 
And he wants to, he'll do something to get it right, to make it back. And so he cries out to Elijah, come and help. And this is his words. It's recorded in the Bible. Thousands of years later, we're reading it. For it was borrowed. Love others better than ourselves. Treat others better than ourselves. Be more concerned for them than we are even for ourselves. That's God's commission. Some people have misinterpreted Yeshua's words there, actually quoting from Leviticus, to love our neighbor as ourselves. They, look, they focus on the ourselves. They say, well, I've got to learn to love myself more so I can love my neighbor. <laughs> Believe me, we're born loving ourselves. <laughs> We don't need help. Yeah, it's just natural for us to love ourselves. It's just natural for us to be takers. Again, you put two babies in a playpen with one toy, and you will see they have no problem learn loving only themselves. You know, that's natural. Now, we may have low self-esteem. We may esteem ourselves low, but it doesn't mean we don't love ourselves. It doesn't mean we don't put ourselves first. And actually, that's part of the problem with low self-esteem, is we're putting ourselves first. Oh, poor me. <laughs> You know, it's all about me in our low self, self, self-esteem. It's self that's the problem, not the esteeming part. So it's not that we've got to pretend that we're better than whatever and, and psych ourselves up to love ourselves more so that we can love others. The only way we can love others, love our neighbor as ourselves, or also love others better than ourselves or esteem others better than ourselves, is by having a new heart. That's the only way. It doesn't come from loving ourselves more. That all of a sudden, then we're going to love our neighbor as much as we love ourselves. That's a total twisting. There's not three commandments there. It's not love God first, love your neighbor second, and then love ourselves as well. It's not three different commandments. There's only two. Love God and love your neighbor as you love yourself. It's not love your neighbor and yourself. It's as you already love yourself. And so the only way we can love others is by a new heart, by having God's heart placed inside us, allowing God to remove out of us everything that's not of us, taking it out of us, surrendering, laying down our lives, and dying with Yeshua, dying with the Messiah, becoming dead to self. and being filled with him. Confessing, Lord, I am only concerned about myself. I'm only concerned on what this reflects on me. I'm only concerned with my stuff. I'm only concerned with my future. Confessing that. Giving that over to the Lord. Lord, I surrender that to you. Give me your mind. I love this world so much that you left your throne, left your ease, left everything and the adoration and respect that you had, and to come down here for me. For us. Give me that kind of love. Because I want your kind of mind. I want your character. And that's the only way we get it. And then as God does that miracle in our lives, he transforms us and changes us. Then we can be concerned for other people. We can be concerned for their welfare. We can be concerned for their needs. And their stuff. And not just be taking, but giving. So that's this boy's burden and his cry. 
Alas, master, it was borrowed. And so the man of God, Elijah said, Elisha said, where did it fall? And so the boy showed him, it was right over there. Now, it might not be so easy to find right over there. Uh, last year, when we were in Israel, we went to uh, Gideon Spring. And uh, I should put some of the pictures in here. Uh, Gideon Spring. And we uh, picked two people to demonstrate the miracle that took place. Uh, uh, or not the miracle, but the, where God um, told Gideon, you've got too many army, too many people in your army. You need to choose less men. Go down to the spring and, uh, and have all the men drink some water. And those who lapped the water uh, sat on this side, and those who bent down and kneeled down and, 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 and suck it up like a dog, uh, lap it with a dog, we'll set them aside and, and, and let them go. And then Kibbe, he only ended up with 300 people. And so we went to that site, the very site where that takes place, took place, and uh, the spring is still there and the stream is still there. And so we picked two people to go and demonstrate that, one to bend down and, and the other to scoop some water and, and drink it that way. Well... Our tour guide was one of them, and he went and he knelt down, he volunteered, and he knelt down, and his glasses came off and went into the water. And this little stream, because we're right by where it comes right out of the mountain, you can see right where it comes out of the mountain, so we're right nearby there, and so we're not talking about a you know, fast-going stream, we're not talking real wide, we're not talking real deep, and uh, uh, there were some kids swimming up in it as well, and, uh, and but it fell straight down, he knew where it went, right down. And, uh, and he was reaching down, he couldn't, he didn't feel it, he, and I, I didn't realize what was going on. I was looking at the other guy, taking pictures of the other guy, and I, I turn around and I see him there, and he, he's taking off his shirt, and he's sticking his head all the way in the water. <laughs> you see it in that uh, Mayim song that we sing, and, and there's a picture of him there with his head all the way in the water, that's what that is. And, uh, and, and he's down there in the water, and, and he's still not finding it. And we tried everything. We, we, we took another pair of glasses, tied a string to it, and dropped it in there. And figured, well, well that one fell, the, the, the original one went. And we tried that, and all we did was find the second pair that we dropped in there. <laughs> and, uh, and, and so he's looking, he takes off his pants, and he goes into the water, and he's swimming around in there. And he's looking and looking, and, and he can't find it. And the water is only maybe about a little above waist deep. And he's feeling around and diving down. He can't find it. And there was uh, some guy there, and, uh, and he had uh, swimming goggles. And he, we asked him, and he went down, and he went looking for it. And uh, he looked for a long time. He looked for a long time. And uh, when our tour guide got him, he, he said, forget it. We can't find it. We need to get going. We've wasted enough time here. And... Uh, that's when then the other guy said, I found them. <laughs> you know, so when we give up, then God uh, steps in, you know. And uh, we were praying up on the shore and all like this, taking pictures. Um, and so if we couldn't find that in that more shallow, you say, well, hey, you know, where is it? Oh, it went somewhere out that way, you know. I mean, I was swinging. I wasn't watching it. I was swinging it. And the next thing I knew, I'm hitting with just, you know, it was somewhere over there. Right? So they could get in that water, they can go swimming around, and they may not find it. And so Elijah says, well, where was it? Well, it was over there. So he showed him it was over there, somewhere in that water. And they can't find it. And again, the Jordan is, is uh, especially then, much swifter than, than the spring I was talking about, much deeper and wider. And so Elijah cut a stick, and he threw it in. 
and he made the iron float. That's pretty miraculous, isn't it? That's pretty impossible, isn't it? Nothing is impossible with God. Right? I mean, iron, you can make it float. But you're throwing a stick in. Now, I've tried it to prove this thing, and it didn't, it, you know, it didn't work. It's not the stick. There's no magical power in the stick. There is no scientific solution or explanation for how a stick, throwing a stick in there, will make it come to the surface. Any more so than when we saw Elisha throw salt into a bitter stream and make it sweet. Right? No explanation for that. Now, it doesn't work normally. You can have the bitterest thing. Or when we read about Elijah, the, the bitter, the, the death pot, the pot of, of uh, stew that had poisonous plants in it. And he threw some flour in there. And it was edible. It's miraculous. He threw a stick in there. And it floated. It's not the element. It's not... God can use anything. God can use a stick. He can use salt. He can use flour. He can use anything to perform his miracles. And that includes you and me. He can use us. Just flesh and blood. Surrendered to him. He can throw us in and he can use us to fulfill his purpose in glorifying his name so this guy can get his axe back. I mean, we're not talking a major miracle, you know what I mean? It's a major miracle. We're not talking about a major problem. You know, okay, come up with a few bucks and buy the guy a new axe, right? God is concerned with the little things. Sometimes we think, oh, I won't even pray about that. It was just a little thing. Oh, it was just an axe. Oh, it was just this thing I lost. But as we learn to trust God in the little things, it prepares us and builds our faith for the bigger problems. Nothing is too small for his concern. There's no care that we have. There's no burden that we, we bear that God is not also concerned about. Every aspect of our lives. He loves us and he cares about us. He cares about our needs. He cares about our debts. He cares about the things that we've borrowed from people. We can take our problems to him. We can learn to trust him. We can lay our cares at his feet and ask him to come up with a solution to help us with. To help us, God is concerned for that other guy who lent. He's, he's concerned about the lender as well. The guy who lent him the axe. God is concerned. So we can take our situations, take our whatever situation it is, and give it to God and see how God works. Trusting in him. Now, what is heavier, the axe or the boy who was swinging the axe? The axe head or the boy? The boy. Which is heavier? The boy, probably, right? <laughs> yeah. A real small boy or a real big axe, right? <laughs> but he was swinging that axe. I would think he'd have to be bigger than the axe head, right? The boy. And so what weighed more, do you think? The boy? Or Elisha, full-grown man? Elisha, right? Yeah, unless it was a big boy, right? Sons of the prophets, you know? Maybe he was an adult sons of the prophet, I don't know. 
But an adult would weigh more than a boy, and a boy would weigh more than an axe head. So what's more of a miracle? For God to make this axe head float? Or for Yeshua to walk on water? And for Yeshua to invite Peter to walk on water? Nothing is impossible for God. And one of the things we see Yeshua doing these things, why did he do that? Why did he walk on water? Why did he take a boat? Why did he get in the boat with the disciples when they left? You know, why does he have to do this thing? Is it all just for theatrics and all like that? He is reliving the whole first half of the Bible. Or more than half, the whole first part of the Bible. He is reliving it to demonstrate who he is. To demonstrate that he is the fulfillment of all things. That all of these things that ta have taken place, from Adam on, he's the second Adam, all the way through, that all of those events and all of those people, godly people doing godly things, are demonstrating and pointing forward to him. And so he comes along and duplicates an even greater. As we saw, Elisha fed a hundred men with, with, uh, with a, a few loaves of bread. Yeshua feeds thousands with a few loaves of barley bread. He takes everything and he does it and he magnifies it to demonstrate that he is, again, the fulfillment of it all. That he is the all in all. And all of these other miracles that took place prior are as a result of him existing even then. It wasn't Elijah who made this axe head float. He prayed. God impressed him. Throw the stick. God answered his prayer. But it's still God who's doing it. He is still the ultimate one. He is the one who we need to be dependent upon. See, Yeshua comes to demonstrate that he is the embodiment of it all, of all of these things. And he still lives and reigns today as well. And so we can take our burdens to him and lay them at his feet. And so not only does this axe head story point forward in that sense to the Messiah, but also the axe head went down into the water. And then it comes back up out of the water. Pointing forward to the immersion ceremony, which points forward or, or, or demonstrates the death and resurrection. Going down, lost, buried away, and coming up in a sense, newness of life. And I'm sure that axe head was more valuable now. <laughs> We're still talking about it today. That axe head, you know, was now a special axe head. Stories went, obviously the stories were told to all the schools of the prophets and whoever wrote this account and, and no doubt the guy whose original axe head it is heard the story. My axe is back. <laughs> yeah, his, his axe was totally cleansed and dead and born anew, in a sense. And that's what God wants to do in us. Born us anew. Create us anew. And so this points forward to the Messiah's death and burial and miraculous resurrection, which points forward to our miraculous resurrection in the last day as well.
And so this axe head story can remind us and give us hope that our loved ones who've died and are buried away somewhere, God is able to raise up. They've died in him. They've died trusting in him. They've died surrendered to him. He is able to raise them up. And God will be able to raise us up, too, if we die before his appearing. This Acts Head story gives us that hope of the resurrection. The hope and the trust and the faith that nothing is impossible with God. Even the resurrection from the dead. Some people have taken the concept of the resurrection and have so... Uh, universalized it, that everybody will go to heaven. Well, that's not what the Bible teach, teaches. Just as so, not every axe head that falls into water comes up out of it either. It's a miracle that will raise the dead. And God will only raise the dead from the dead those that are, like this axe head, surrendered to his will used for his purpose, dedicated to him. Not everyone is going to heaven. But everyone who trusts in the Lord and is surrendered to God, God will be able to raise up at the last trump, at last shofar sound, at his appearing, the dead in Messiah will rise first. And we which are alive and remain will be caught up together with them to meet the Lord in the air. This is a wonderful story of hope. Wonderful story of the power of God who's concerned with the little things in our lives, borrowed axes, little things lost, as well as the most important thing, our eternal life. Which we are given because of the resurrection of the Messiah. And so then he, Elijah says, pick it up for yourself. And so the boy reaches out his hand, and he took it. And he had his axe back. It was lost, and now it's found. Now thankful he is for that new axe. There's a story, I'm not sure if it's a true story or not, but it's a beautiful story. Young boy, he gets for a present, gets a little motorized boat, and he's so excited, he loves it, and he paints it and puts it all together, and gets the batteries, and can't wait to go out on the lake with it. Waterproofed it, everything, he's excited. He goes out to the, to the lake near his house, and he's playing with this thing, and it's zipping around and back and forth and having a lot of fun all day long. And he wants to see how far he can go with it. And he's zooming it out and zooming it back and how fast it can go. And on one of the shots out there, it goes beyond the radio distance of his transmitter. And it's not responding to his calls anymore. It's not turning around. It's not coming back. 
it's still just floating further and further away. And he tries to run around the lake and hoping it'll make it to the other side. And he's just kind of floating out there in the current. And, and he's circling the lake and he's throwing sticks and he's trying different things. And it's not responding and he's not able to get it. He wades out a little bit and the water gets too deep. Tries to enlist some help. Eventually it's getting darker. Knows it's time he has to go home. And uh, the start, sun starts to set. And he's now even having a hard time seeing it out there. And so he goes home and he's discouraged. He prays about it. Doesn't even tell his parents. He's so embarrassed. He's afraid they're going to get so upset. Next morning, he gets up. He runs out there to that lake, hoping to be able to find it. He scours the shore. He walks all around it. He's looking for his boat. He can't find it. He looks and looks at some bushy areas. He wades in there. He's going through the, the bushes and through the weeds and through the, through the rushes, and he can't find his boat anywhere. He goes back the next day and the next day, and eventually he gives up looking for it. One day he's in town with his parents and they're shopping in one store and, and as they're walking down the street they pass a, a pawn shop. And there in the window of the pawn shop is a boat that looks just like his boat. He runs in there he says, that's my boat. And he looks it over and sure enough it's the same color paint that he painted it. And it, and it looks, it's just like it. He's so excited, he grabs it, he says, this is my boat, thank you so much. And the guy says, I don't know what you're talking about. But someone else came in here, and I bought that from him. And if you want that boat, it's going to cost you this much money. The boy doesn't have that much money. So he goes back home, and the next day he comes back there, and he, Brings his transmitter. He says, I'll show you it's my boat. Look it, I've got this, and it's going to respond to this, this thing. And he turns it on, and the rudder moves, and it whirls. He says, see, it's my boat. The guy says, I don't care. I paid money for that thing. If you want that boat, you're going to have to pay me money for that thing. And so the kid goes home. He says, don't, give it, don't sell it to anyone else. <laughs> Put it aside, at least, for me. Give me a little bit of time. The guy says, OK, I'll give you a little bit of time. He goes home, he starts cutting grass, he starts raking leaves, he starts cleaning gutters, he starts earning some money, and he goes back and he buys the boat back. He says to his boat, you're mine twice. You're chosen twice. You're bought twice. You were mine and I lost you, and now you're mine again. Like this kid's accent. It was his. It was gone, and now he had it again. That's right. And that's the story of what God has done for us. Even just in a little way, God has done so much more. We were his. He created us. He created Adam and Eve. He created this earth for us, for himself. And he lost it. It was taken from him. We've been sold out. And so he's come here to buy us back. And if we accept his sacrifice in our behalf, 
he grabs a hold of us, and he says, you're mine. I bought you twice. You're mine twice over. You're mine by right because of creation. I created you. I formed you in your mother's womb. And you're mine again because I paid the price for you. I redeemed you. I gave my life in behalf of your life. So then God wants to transform us and change us. Since we're now bought by him and valued by him, he wants to set us up on a pedestal and be glorified. This is the axe head that fell into the water and was raised back up. Right? I can't imagine the owner using that axe for just anything else evermore again. If I put it up on a shelf, this is the axe head. There were all these hundred students there who witnessed it, testified of it. This is the axe head. People might have come from all around to see that axe head. That's what God wants to do for us. Raise us up out of the mud. Raise us up from being a broken, shoddy axe head. Chipped and damaged. He wants to raise us up and put us on a pedestal so that he can get the honor and glory, so that people can come and learn about him, so people can see him in us. That's God's purpose for us. So that even for millennial years later, we'll be able to testify and tell the story of what God has done in our lives. As we give thanks to him. Throughout eternity, for how he has taken us and raised us up. As we pray together, whatever area in your life God has appealed to from this story, maybe you've had some borrowed things that you haven't cared about. Maybe you've abused some borrowed things. Really, everything is borrowed. Nothing is ours, right? Even the stuff that we possess and may have our name on it, still just God's. Everything's God's. And he's just loaning it to us. You're just managing his funds and managing his car, managing his houses, managing his stuff, managing his body. This is not even our own. We are not our own. We've been bought. So we've been abusing any of his stuff. And we're going to have to return back to him. We can't take it with us. We have to give an account for it. For any of the dings and dents and chips in it. We haven't been appreciating these things and we want to surrender that to God and confess that to God. We want to confess that and give that over to him. God, I'm sorry. I haven't respected those other people. The things you've given me and the things that other people have given me. Cleanse my record. Cleanse my heart. Work in me and through me. Or maybe there's something in your life, maybe something small you didn't even think about praying about. Maybe some lost item. Maybe some problem. Maybe some situation. And if God is able to care about this axe, he cares about that problem too. So maybe you want to lay that problem before the Lord and ask him to help you in that situation. Maybe you're realizing that you don't care about other people, you only care about yourself. And even if you have low self-esteem, it's really just because of self. And you want to surrender that and allow that to be buried away. God to resurrect you in a new heart. Your concern for others, burden for others, have a love for others. Esteem others better than ourselves. Maybe God wants to do some miracles in your life. Give you the power to walk on water if necessary. 
Maybe you're needing a resurrection and newness of life, newness of heart. Maybe you just need to be encouraged in the hope of the resurrection. Maybe you're grieving some lost loved one. And the story reminds you of the resurrection to come. Maybe we're thinking of the frailty of life in general. We want to look forward to the promise of the resurrection. Hold fast till the end. Again, any of these areas or maybe something else that God has spoken to you tonight about. Whatever it is. Ask him to come into your heart and mind and fill you with his courage and his strength and his hope. Maybe he wants to set you up as, as that axe head of what God has done in your life so that people can come and hear the story of how God has raised you up out of the water and created newness of life in you. God wants to use you as a living testimony of his power. Ask him to fill you with his glory, fill you with his grace, fill you with his words and his life. As we pray together. Our Lord and our God, King of the universe, Lord, we are thankful for your love, and Lord, we are thankful so much for this account, is, with all the accounts in the Bible, that remind us of your glory and your love for us. That point forward to you, that point forward to your miraculous ability to walk on water, your miraculous ability to be raised from the dead. We're thankful, Lord God, for your concern for us, your willingness to come down to this earth to buy us back. You're concerned to get us back, to redeem us. We're thankful, Lord, for your love for us. And so, Lord, work in us and through us. Manifest your glory in us. Resurrect us in new hearts. Bury away the old nature. Live inside us. Lord, answer our prayers, even the little ones and concerns, and meet those needs. Lord, for those of us that have borrowed stuff and are on borrowed time, whether we've borrowed the stuff that you have, the managing your stuff, not appreciating it, or stuff that we have from other human beings, Lord, forgive us and cleanse us. Give us a respect for them and respect for you. Help us to be more diligent in taking care of the things that you've made us stewards over. You've made us managers over. Use them rightly for your honor and your glory. May we be axes in your hands, building up your schools, building up your work. In Yeshua's holy name, amen.